0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join
1: the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. We're recording another podcast at night. um, So it's probably going to be it's like there is no guarantee that any of this coming out of my brain makes sense. (laughs) And not because
0: anything is involved, uh, yeah, other than just it being a later hour.
1: Right, right. It's just generally when we record at night, I don't um, have any mental faculties with me to make (laughs) anything make sense.
0: Which is not great because you do work nights during the season. Yeah,
1: I do. That is very true. That is very true. I think I save all of my mental abilities maybe for like for the season maybe that's why maybe that's why i'm totally incoherent outside of the season well it, it's not
0: be? yeah but this is spring training you're supposed to be getting ready for the season
1: yeah that's true um so
0: let let, let this be your you know your pfps your bunting drills that's your your true. base running drills whatever to get the the mental juices flowing here at 9:38 on the east coast what is it on the I was going to say the Arizona coast, but there is yeah, no Arizona. Yeah,
1: the, uh, the southwest coast. Um, no, there is no coast. Uh, we are at 639. We are on Pacific time. Arizona is one of those weird states that doesn't do – actually, I guess I should say is more normal in that they don't do yeah. um, daylight savings time. Daylight savings – like, you know, it's 2018. The The farmers know what time everything's going to happen now, right?
0: <laughs> they, 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 that almanac has been you know, published for – decades and centuries at this point I feel like they know know. what they're doing yeah
1: yeah exactly at some point maybe we should just all settle on one clock and stick with it Um, I am fine with that you know it's we're just trying to make progress that's what we do on the show before the show podcast and uh, with that we welcome you into this week's edition the 152nd episode of the minor league baseball podcast from MILB.com my name is Tyler Maughan in uh, Phoenix Arizona we're kind of between Phoenix and Scottsdale but we're in we're still in Phoenix Um, I'm sitting basically an arm's reach from uh, Josh Jackson, who is a silent observer right now of the podcast, um, just staring at me with like that thinker face, like his chin resting on his clenched fist. There's a lot of mental anguish going on. Not really. He's just doing a prospect <laughs> primer story that I think is due tonight. Uh, so we'll hear from Josh coming up here in a little bit. Uh, we were out at, uh, oh, and Sam Dijkstra by the way, in New York City. Hi, Sam.
0: Hi, Tyler. I just like to imagine that's what Josh looks like all the time, no yeah. matter what he's doing.
1: He's very pensive. Very
0: thim- Josh is, could be eating a box of Cheerios, and he's very pensive about what the Cheerios mean about his disposition that particular morning. They are
1: honey bunches of oats this trip. Not serious. Uh, not, see,
0: not there you go. That. I didn't even know. and that, I, That's he how close we are, is that I knew that Cheerios were actually involved here.
1: Tonight when we got back from White Sox camp, he had two bowls. <laughs> <You> just, <laughs> just just observe the uh this is the process of the podcast josh this is how things happen we just uh you know talk about as much random stuff as we can for the first five minutes or so and then we go oh yeah we have uh, like real things to talk about um no we spent the whole day at white Sox camp today the white Sox then took on the padres for a big league spring training game i watched that um josh was back on the backfields for uh the majority of that game I put together a story on Dane Dunning that is up on the site right now, the sixth ranked White Sox prospect. Um, Josh got a chance to catch up with Eloy Jimenez, the top prospect in the White Sox organization. You will hear from Eloy coming up here in a little bit. Um, but we got back to the the spring training palatial estate version 2018 a little while ago. And Josh had two bowls of cereal. I had uh, a peanut butter and jelly and like 19 handfuls of smart foods, white cheddar popcorn. If you want to sponsor the podcast, I would eat my body weight in your popcorn. Um, so, yeah. That's, you know, it's whenever you're and you know how this is when you go out for a full day at a camp, by the time you come back, your brain is like so fried.
0: Oh, yeah. No, totally. Um, just the idea of us trying to get a smart food endorsement, though, right? is the first time anybody would call this smart Anything involved with this park podcast.
1: That is very true. <laughs> so is, we'll take I, it. I will and, certainly not disagree with that.
0: If somebody knows the Smart Food family or the Smart Food family of products. Mr. and Mrs. And smart a, Food. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> uh, and wants to pass on, along our information, it's podcasts at MILB.com. Hit yeah. us up.
1: Um, I will, you know, take whatever promotional photos you need of me <laughs> eating or or bathing in your white cheddar popcorn. It's like my favorite thing ever. So yeah, so we're back here. Uh, Josh did not give me a good look on the bathing in idea for popcorn. <laughs> um, but we're we're headed out to dinner coming up in a little bit. We're trying to figure out um what to do for uh, for food. Phoenix is a very good. This is another thing I feel like you kind of get jobbed with going to the Grapefruit Lee. There's good food, like, everywhere in Phoenix. Because there's good Mexican food, obviously, all over the place. But this is like, and we talked about this before on the podcast, this is like the fast food burger vortex, which Josh doesn't get to take part in because he doesn't eat meat. But there's uh, In-N-Out Burger here. There's Shake Shack here. There's Whataburger here. Like, every good fast food burger joint is located in Phoenix, which is fantastic. Um... Yeah, so basically, it's just my way of saying, like, I could die by the end of the night based on what I eat tonight for dinner, so at least we got this podcast put out today.
0: Yeah, that's good. Let's let's make sure we go out with a bang then. <laughs> um, but yeah, Florida doesn't really have much of that. It's really Chick-fil-A that everybody talks about the entire time down really? there. Really? Yeah, that's about it. Huh. Um, I think Todd Frazier had a quote about Mets camp. He. he Or in Mets camp, he thought it was Sunday, which meant Chick Fil A would have been closed. Only to find out it was actually Saturday, and he could actually go. Did he find uh, out too late? No, he found out like early in the morning. Oh, okay. He was thinking about it that early. He was going to say
1: he he found out at like eleven forty-five that night, and was like, "Are you kidding me? I could have had it all day today."
0: No, no, he he was like talking about it in the clubhouse or something like that, and somebody reminded him, "No, it's actually Saturday. You can get it whenever you want." (laughs) Uh, So there was that, but yeah, that's about it for like I have my spots. I've been there for three springs now, and there's this place called Fresh Kitchen in uh, Tampa. that's excellent. Um, it's one of those places that's it's like super healthy and your body just feels better for having gone having gone there uh, that I really like. And I what do I usually get there? I get brown rice, romaine lettuce, vegan chili uh mango chicken and balsamic dressing on top and I swear to god it's very good. None of that sounds like it should mix well, but it does. And if you're in Tampa, check that out. But that's not really comparable to In N Out or Whataburger or any like that.
1: Why um well and we should I guess uh, discuss you're you're near a place how close do you actually stay to Yeehaw Junction?
0: Oh not ever close enough. But you like go
1: it, through it because you stopped there again this year.
0: I stopped I stopped there quickly um, Yeehaw Junction actually has the Desert Inn at Yeehaw Junction has the a, Desert
1: Inn at Yeehaw Junction.
0: Yeah, it's it's called the Desert Inn, which is hilarious, um, and they've got like a diner type thing at in the bottom of it. Okay. And unfortunately, that opened at eleven, and I got to Yeehaw Junction at ten thirty, and I could not wait it out. And there's a sign. On the door at the Desert Inn that said, if you're in a hurry, Mickey D's, and I'm quoting here, it actually said Mickey D's. Mickey D's is 30 to 50 miles in either direction. Right. So go there. This is not Miami, New York, or I LA. Think they
1: actually mapped it.
0: I, the fact that it was 30 to 50 <laughs> miles tells me they're just guessing.
1: I was thinking like maybe one direction is 30 and the other is 50.
0: Uh, maybe it could have been. But it that's just like, if you're in a hurry, literally go a marathon away from here and then you'll get your food quicker and i was like okay well that's that's saying something so one of the years these years i'm actually going to stop and get a burger there i just didn't have time this year at a, a flight to catch and when i passed it the first time uh it was six in the morning and i was on my way to marlin's camp Ye-ha, to bring Roger. you guys that okay. uh, right. lewis princeton interview last yeah, week which so, is great yeah um so next year next year that's a goal
1: well, we're 20 minutes into the podcast and barely touched on anything <laughs> baseball related. And so you know that it is a special edition of the show before the show podcast. We're going to dive into three strikes here coming up momentarily on the spring training edition. But before we do, thanks for tuning in. We're at MILB.com slash podcast. We're on the iTunes podcast, uh, little feeds there and the, uh, the old Google play and elsewhere. And you can find us and give us a rating and review and a subscription, get in touch with the show podcast at MILB.com or on Twitter. I'm at Tyler Mon. Sam is at Sam Dykstra, MILB, John. Josh Jackson is at Josh Jackson, M I L B you can get in touch with Josh there. My favorite Josh anecdote so far from the trip was yesterday morning. We each bought bananas independent of each other. Um, I bought four and Josh bought six. So we had 10 bananas, which is way too many bananas for two normal men for like five days. And, um, Josh said I the day after there was a pan in the uh, sink and I said would you cook in that pan that's in the sink and Josh said I don't want to talk about it so I'm assuming it was <laughs> something with the bananas that just went horribly wrong that's all we can, all we just can makes
0: assume. you wonder what his wife has to go through every week
1: <laughs> um, so let's get into it three strikes for this spring training edition of the show before the show Sam your favorite personal spring training anecdote to this point
0: yeah, I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast yet, but um, I had a story come out during my time in Florida. I went to Dunedin to watch Blue Jays Camp, and that's actually the first time I've been there uh, to see Blue Jays Camp for the obvious reasons. You know, when uh, Greer Jr. is there and Bo Bouchette is there, and neither one was actually in Major League Camp, I, I went to the backfields, which is on a Different kind of campus. It's not literally the backfields like some of the places in Florida or Arizona where you have the major league complex and and minor league complex is right next door. This was about a mile and a half down the road. Um, kind of spent the afternoon with the Blue Jays prospects. Um, just, you know, watching them, observing them. They weren't even going through intra-squad games yet. So just seeing guys get, you know, the kinks kind of rolled out. Um, but I get, did get to talk to Bo Bichette at the end of the day. And one thing that was fascinating to me about him is that last year he was the minor league batting champion. He hit .362 uh, between Dunedin and Class A Lansing. Um, Did all that as a teenager, um, which is fascinating. You know, it might be easier to do that lower levels than upper levels. I get that. But still, this was his first full season uh, was the minor league batting champ. And you start to think, like, batting average is is something that we kind of take – as a fickle stat nowadays it it doesn't have the stature that it once did and I I get that and I'm you know I'm all on board on paying more attention to OBP and OPS and you know WRC plus and all that kind of stuff Um, but Bichette kind of strikes me as somebody who could actually repeat as minor league batting champion and that's you know, a very difficult uphill battle to climb. You know, there's so many minor leaguers. There's so many things that could happen. Uh, injuries, you know, he's going to be moving up a level. He's going to be facing tougher pitching. This isn't talking about, you know, uh, Giancarlo Stanton winning another home run title or something like that because he's at the same level. He knows what he's going to tackle. Boba going to face new things this year, potentially starting the year at Double A New Hampshire or at least seeing time there. Um, you know, a lot that could go into that, but still... You know, this is a guy who MLB.com gave a 70-grade hit tool to. That's very rare. You know, some of the only people I know in the minors who have gotten a better hit tool are Vlad Guerrero Jr., who was given top-of-the-line 80, and Luis Urias. Uh, You know, so he is a rare hitter. Um, So I talked to him about that. You know, do you think you could repeat? And he didn't shrug it off. He didn't say no. He just said, you know, listen, I'm trying to be the best version of of who I can be and I think I can be better than last year and if better than last year it means I win it again that's great and if not that's fine but as long as I feel like I've grown as a player that's okay and he was just so polished and I I wish we could have used the podcast or the interview for the podcast. I thought about doing that. You know, I don't want to double up on content. I I would rather you guys read the story. I get that. So I'm going to kind of leave well enough alone on that. Please do check that out though. But it really comes across in his comments. You know, this is a guy who believes in himself who kind of has things laid out. Uh, If you watch his swing, it's fairly violent, um, but in a really good way, you know, he's got a lot of movement to it. He's got a pretty good leg kick. Um, things that shouldn't necessarily fall into place. And yet the second he makes contact, it's like everything, it's like a clock almost, you know, everything's exactly where it needs to be at the right time. Um, and you know, that's something repeatable. That's something that's always worked for him. I asked him, you know, has anybody ever tried to fix this? Because a lot of times when there's a lot of moving parts, you know, you enter pro ball, they try to smoothen things out. They try to take away things, build you back up that way. And he said, you know, going back to even Little League, nobody's ever touched his swing because, A, he's doing so well that they didn't need to, and B, they might have been afraid of his dad, uh, Dante Bichette, you know, who was a major league slugger in his own right uh, and a very good one at that and probably, you know, an intimidating figure in the flesh. Um, So I I just thought that was very interesting. And and for being a guy who – you know, is entering this year as, you know, the number 13 overall prospect in baseball. He seems very self-aware. Uh, he seemed very self-confident and, you know, that's kind of how major league superstars are built. They, they know what they're capable of. They know what their ceiling is and, and they know what to do to get there. And all of that kind of came together in over a, you know, six, seven minute conversation with Bobby on the backfield. So, um, you know, he was somebody I was confident going into the year that was going to do well. Um, but, getting to do that getting to see him see where he is in his progressions uh only makes me more confident that he can kind of hit the ground running whether he's back in Dunedin or starting at double a new hampshire uh he's going to be another one i'm going to keep my eye on so that really good fun conversation with him check out the story i had with him a couple weeks ago uh and yeah that that's my spring standout so far and you know as time passes i think i'll continue to look back on that one is really fun
1: Yeah, I've got uh, one that kind of stands out among a guy that broke into the kind of collective consciousness last year, and that is Hunter Green in the Cincinnati Reds organization. So similar in that regard to Bo Bichette, who we knew about a couple of years ago, but last year really made everybody take notice. Um, Hunter Green this year, now just going into his first professional season, full professional season, um, being selected in the draft with the second pick last year. But uh, it was really cool that he did not seem – 100% like he was in the mindset of giving up the bat at some point. Hunter Green obviously drafted as a two-way player um, and a star in that regard, somebody who could play with the potential to be a power-hitting shortstop, but also um, obviously the work that he is able to do on the mound is really what made him the second overall selection in the draft. Probably could have been a first-round pick just as a shortstop, but was taken with the second overall pick because of how good of a major league pitcher he is projected to be. But talking to him about where he is right now in his career, the plan at this moment is to make Hunter Green a pitcher. But Hunter Green and to their credit, the Cincinnati Reds did not rule anything out outside of that. And so talking to him about it, the most interesting thing was, you know, all offseason, he had been working on a swing. He had been taking ground balls, that type of stuff. But uh, in addition to that, we talked about, you know, kind of the wave of two-way players and uh, whether this is something that's just happening right now and could be something that maybe we'll see more of in the coming years in baseball. And uh, Hunter Green, I had mentioned Shohei Otani and Brendan McKay. And the quote that he gave me was, it's a little different with Otani and McKay and those guys because they play first base. It's not as athletic or challenging as shortstop. They're able to do it and can get away with it more than I can just because it's less throwing and moving around. But yeah, it's new. Guys are coming in more athletic, but I'd say it's different. I wouldn't compare me to those guys. I thought that was really interesting that Hunter Green even sees himself as a different subset of that group and if I'm a Reds fan I love that I love that confidence I love that belief in that athleticism it's just a a guy who really feels like he can do it all and wants to do it all and I think that's extremely cool and for the Reds to be an organization that is right now fine with the idea that he's going to pitch but if you know it comes along that at some point maybe the bat would be well served to be getting back into the lineup. The Reds are open to that, and I think that's really cool uh, for an organization to not just say, no, man, we're going to shut it down. You're not going to hit anymore." We're, we're, there's no thought process that would ever lead you to maybe possibly playing defensively at anywhere that isn't on the mound. I just think it's neat that that's still an option potentially for Hunter Green um, going forward. So I don't know how much of an option it is. I don't know if the odds are two percent or twenty percent that we would ever see him in the lineup. Um, you know, outside of just being a pitcher, I think as a designated hitter, that's certainly a possibility. Um, the the chances that he ever goes back to play short, I think you would have to see the options all exhausted of. Trying Trying to get him to reach his ceiling as a pitcher, but I commend the Reds for being open and being malleable in their plan with him.
0: Yeah, but not only that, I feel like reading his comments last year, where you know him realizing he couldn't do both. You know, he he played at um, Billings last year in right. the Pioneer League and kind of realized you know this is a lot on my plate and I, I don't think i can do both of these things i i want to do what's best for me and best for my future and that's on the mound and he seemed very mature in that af- after you know being drafted both ways um so to see him go back is you know it, not he's not going back you know and i i don't want to say he's demanding to play shortstop again or anything like that right. he's still sticking on this you know one route thing and Certainly. that's fine but to, for him to say, like, listen, I do think I can I can do this still uh, was kind of eye-opening to me, at least in that interview. Um, and, yeah, the, the idea that he still thinks he can play shortstop of anything. You mentioned he doesn't think he's Otani or McKay um, because Otani's only going to play DH and McKay is going to play first base. Right. Um, that he thinks his arm will be okay to make some of the throws at short a day after he's throwing five innings or whatever. Uh, or two days after he's throwing five innings, um, either tells me, you know he's confident that he can can do that and he knows better than we do, or he's got a lot of humbling that's going to still come to him over you know one hundred and forty game season, and uh, to be fair,
1: he said it more in the context of it wasn't explicitly retrospective it wasn't like oh this is what I have done but I think it was more in the abstract sense of I wouldn't compare myself to those guys because when I was doing it it was as a shortstop and a pitcher um, but it still was definitely with the air of if I'm going to play in the field it's going to be at short so yeah I think um, that spirit holds true I don't know how much Hunter Green actually considers the possibility that maybe he could force his way back into the lineup also playing defensively but if that is the case you know know he wants to do it as short and I think the reason why he feels confident he could do it playing short a day or two days after throwing is he did I mean he did it in high school and this is a kid who is not even a full year removed from high school as crazy as that is being already one of the best known names in the minor leagues so um, but I just love that confidence I don't know if it's if we'll ever see Hunter Green Take a bat in his hands in a professional game again. I'm not sure whether or not that's going to happen. Jeff Graupay, the senior director of player development for the Reds, said basically, I don't want to commit to anything right now. There's a chance, but we don't know how that's going to look. We're going to focus on pitching. Once we feel like we're in a good place with that, the bat will still get attention, whether that's just in drills, whether it's in batting practice, or whether we put him in a lineup. We're not going to commit to anything right now. But I think it's cool that everybody's keeping an open mind with this, whereas I think even five years ago maybe, probably not five years ago, more 10, 15 years ago, you get a guy in he shows promise on another side of the game more often than not teams would say no we're going to focus on one thing you can let the rest of it go
0: yeah and I, I feel like that was probably the case even two years ago really Uh, You know, were we really having this conversation about two way players before Otani, McKay and Green all kind of came at the same time? I don't think so. Um, So, so, you know, what does this mean going forward? I don't know. I mean, we've had this conversation plenty of times. Uh, Is the two way revolution coming? Is this just a special batch of players? We won't know for maybe another five, ten years. But um, yeah, good on the Reds for keeping an open mind for now. And we'll check back in on this, you know, over the course of his development like we would anyway.
1: So, that's strike one. Strike two this week, Sam, as we continue along with our spring training-themed... Uh, episode 152. I already forgot what episode we were on. Um, our farm system rankings, our final farm system rankings released this week, and we've been going through position players and pitchers um, and talked about those coming up to this one, which is the overall farm system ranking. So if you were one of those people who is mad online about where your team has been ranked, this one would be the one to get either mad or very happy about. Um, the Atlanta Braves check-in at number one, right ahead of the San Diego Padres, although we're not sure where they were. Um, before Sam undoubtedly tampered with his own rankings, he wrote this Yeah, with book, my own maybe, rankings. Maybe yeah. there was a Sam that had somebody else at number one. It was the Padres, and then this Sam came in and made the Braves number one, as we know Sam does with the rankings. But no, walk us through the Sam because this is the the upper echelon system's That are extremely good. And then we talked about this year to year. There's a bit of a drop off behind. I would say kind of those first three with the Braves, the Padres and the White Sox. But even that next group with the Yankees at number five and the Rays at number four. That's a very good group as well. Walk us through these these 30 uh, where everybody falls in, but especially this this top level.
0: Yeah. I, I don't feel like this is as hot take worthy as it could have been, you know, kind of going through this, it just kind of all falls into place. Like I certainly have my methodology here. Um, you know, you'll note if you go onto the site and check it out that obviously we did position player ranks, we did pitcher ranks, uh, and then we did 21 and under don't really consider 21 and under. That's just more of a fun category for us and, and for you guys to kind of see which systems are particularly, particularly young. Um, but, you know, going into overall, I, I do want to keep in mind that if, you know, we ranked a certain system, you know, fifth for position players and 15th for pitchers, that they don't end up fourth. You know, I, I want to kind of keep that all in mind so you can kind of mix and match some of these. But as you go through that, you know, things really start to fall into place. And I put the Braves number one, um, you know, they, they are the deepest in terms of pitching arms, and that's what pushes them here. Uh, You know, we ranked them number one in terms of pitching. We ranked them number seven in terms of position players. Um, But the fact that they have Ronald Acuna Jr., you know, he is the best pure position player prospect in the game right now. Probably should be starting the year in Atlanta. We'll have that discussion uh, closer to opening day. But, you know, they have him already in their system and then they just go arm after arm after arm after arm from there Kyle Wrights number 30 Mike Soroka's number 31 Luis Gohara number 49 Ian Anderson number 51 Colby Allard number 58 Max Fried number 83 you know the way that lays out is there are six Braves pitchers in the top 100 right now you, you would have to kick one, one of them out to have a major league rotation that is nuts they could make a major league rotation someday of all former top 100 prospects that they, that are homegrown, that came up through their minor league system, that is and amazing. then another guy who's a long reliever. And that's not getting into you know Joey Wentz, Tukey Toussaint, Kyler, Kyle Muller, Bryce Wilson, who I featured during my time in spring camp. These are all guys with legit chances to be major league starters, except Atlanta doesn't have enough room for them. Now this all will shake out eventually, but to have this type of depth is something I haven't seen in you know my time covering the minors this is gonna be my seventh season I haven't seen a a pitching system as deep as this one has been has been in the past you know is now they add Kyle Wright who becomes their top pitching prospect in last year's draft you know they lost Sean Newcomb but I feel like some of these guys even improved Max Fried became a top 100 prospect Uh, Gohara became a top 100 prospect this brave system is just too deep um, to be anywhere but number one for me now, the Padres are number two, and the Padres, I don't want to call them the Braves light because they are very, very, very similar, just like 95% full, basically. Um, again, kind of similar sc- scenario here. You know, we, we had them for pitchers as the second-best system in baseball. For position players, the eighth-best system in, in baseball. Uh, their top prospect is Fernando Tatis Jr., who you, you'll hear from later on in the show. Uh, very toolsy shortstop. Very likely to stick there, uh, going forward. Has a really interesting mix of both speed and power. Uh, really young. Finished last year at Double A. Everything you like to see in an individual prospect, an individual top prospect. But then just going through the arms: Mackenzie Gore, Kel Quantrill, Michelle Baez, Adrian Morahone, Anderson Espinoza. These are all top 100 names, and then it goes deeper beyond that: Logan Allen, Joey Lucchesi. Eric Lauer are all guys who would stand out in other systems, except they're all under one house. Uh, you know, Luis Urias is also there. Franchi Cordero is somebody I know a lot of people are, have fallen in love with for his plus-plus speed and potential to, you know, become kind of a stat-cast darling who puts up crazy exit velocities. Um, I, I think other places have had the Padres at number one, and I I think they have the potential to be there next year when – you know, Acuna graduates and some of these arms, maybe Max Fried, maybe Soroka, maybe Allard, all of them graduate out of the Brave system. Um, I'm not quite ready to put them there yet. I don't think they're quite as deep as the Braves, but they're deeper than almost any other system we have here. Uh, and you mentioned, Tyler, that I, I feel like it, it is kind of an upper tier of these first three. The White Sox, you know, if, if the Padres are 95% of the Braves, the White Sox are kind of like 90% of the Braves. They've got the Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, uh, kind of mix that one-two punch of position players. But the, the pitching is really deep with Kopech, Hansen, Cease, and Dunning. Zach Collins and Carson Fulmer used to be top 100 prospects. The shine has kind of come off them a little bit, but you know they're still good prospects, quality prospects in that system. Uh, you know The White Sox have a lot of depth. They have a lot of big names. Um, that kind of puts them over the top from, from the Rays who we did have as the first uh, position player system. Um, But I feel like position players are, you know, the the systems kind of when it comes to position players are much closer. You can go like one through seven and kind of make a a case for any one of those seven. Uh, Whereas I, I feel like it's pretty solid Braves, Padres, White Sox on the pitching side and pretty steep drop off from there. Um. So those push those guys in, into the top three. Uh, but we've got Rays at four, Yankees at five. That was kind of a tough call for me. Um, I, again, I, I, I like the Rays pitching uh, position player prospects a lot. Uh, the fact that they have Brun Honeywell, who underwent Tommy John surgery. Uh, I'm not going to take away points from that yet because I still think Honeywell has a really good future and a lot of potential, and Tommy John isn't as hurtful as it once was. Um, you know, the Yankees have some – really promising guys and Torres and Andahar and Floreal um, has jumped into, you know, their number two spot this year. Justice Sheffield and Chance Adams are the big arms to watch there along with Albert Breu, which they're all good. I just don't feel like they're necessarily as deep as somebody like the White Sox or the Rays who it just, it's like rolling with them. Um, You know, there's another name I really like. There's another name I really like. Another name I really like. So I won't go through all these top 15. I, I split them up 1 through 15 and then 16 through 30. Um, but you know, just to give you guys an idea, what I'm looking at first is top 100 talent because that's really what's going to influence a major league roster someday. That's where you're going to find your impact. And then some of the tiebreakers come down to depth. You know, If they've got a number 10 prospect who I really like and who I think – could potentially be a top 100 guy or a major league regular someday. That's going to help you over somebody who number 10 is just kind of a a filler or you know a potential backup. Um, but when when I was kind of going through this, you know, it, the more top 100 guys you have the better and that's how you end up with Braves, Padres, White Sox there at the top and then everybody else kind of falling into line.
1: So you can check out that story at MILB.com. By the way, um, Sam mentioned uh, Joey Lucchese in there of the Seattle Mariners organization. Josh Jackson had a story or of the San Diego Padres organization. Josh Jackson had a story on the site from the day that we went to Padres Mariners camp in Peoria. And uh, you can check that out at MILB.com as well. Sam's Farm System Rankings. That brings us to strike three, the final one in a baseball at bat. And also in this segment, Um, the prospect primers have arrived for 2018. Um, Our season previews for each minor league system, we started rolling those out. Today, we are doing that in alphabetical order. And uh, Sam, the initial ones that uh, rolled out today, some interesting systems among them. The Arizona Diamondbacks, I know, read a little bit of that story. Michael Avalon uh, put in a a lot of work on a system that does have some interesting pieces. um, But walk us through the ones that we've got out so far.
0: Yeah, so we are going through this alphabetically. So today we have the Arizona Diamondbacks, the Atlanta Braves, which I wrote, and the Baltimore Orioles, who uh, were written up by Kelsey Hennigan. Uh, the D- D-backs, we'll start with them because you mentioned them, Tyler. Uh, John Duplantier, who was on this podcast a couple months ago, uh, is the real standout there. But, you know, this is a system that, you know, a year ago, two years ago, we were talking about is kind of the, one of the worst in baseball Uh, It was between them and the Angels, just not a lot there. And now there is. I mean, Duplantier's turned into the shining star of the system, which Mike Avalon wrote up. Uh, Pavin Smith, you know, he's going to be a full season debutant. He's a number 100 prospect after a really promising career at the University of Virginia. Uh, He's going to be playing first base, so, you know, there's a little added weight to his bat, but, uh, you know, he's got good offensive potential. Uh, I'll be interested to see what he can do in terms of power. Um, But the D-backs aren't obviously going to be rushing him up because this is a system with Paul Goldschmidt. He's the present and future of the first base position in Arizona. Um, But this is just a a different system than what we were used to seeing from them. So I think Mike kind of does a really good job of laying that out, that you know, as much as we think of, okay, they're improved because they have these two guys here, it does go kind of deeper than that uh, I'll kind of draw people's attention to the back and healthy, uh, part with just Roto Chisholm or Chisholm. I'm sorry, Chisholm, uh, Chisholm, um, who I think could have a good year this year as they're kind of breaking out in 2016 and then having some bumps and some bruises last year. Uh, he could be really exciting this year. And then Jared Miller, who's long been a favorite of mine, uh, looking kind of major league ready. So, uh, That's the good thing I like about these prospect primers is that as much as we kind of get wrapped up in some of the names, it allows us to go a little bit deeper. Uh, And kind of speaking of that, with my Braves one, you know, I feature Acuna is major league ready. There's no way we can get around that. The guy should be in the majors start at the beginning of the year. Um, He's not going to be. And that's because of service time rules. And that's unfortunate. But it's just the way things are right now. Um, Soroka, right. They also get featured in there, but Christian Pache is somebody I feel like we don't get to talk too much about just because he gets kind of buried, uh, might be the most exciting center fielder in baseball. And I mean that, or minor league baseball. And I mean that from a defensive standpoint, uh, I put him down as the loudest tool, uh, when it came to his glove, uh, Going to be really interesting to see what he can kind of do at another full season affiliate. Can he kind of fill out his offensive potential? Because if he can, you know, there's a reason why people are saying Acuna is probably not the starting center fielder in a couple of years in Atlanta. It's because, A, they have Ender Inciarte who's already won two gold gloves there. Or it's because Pache is so good defensively in center that he could maybe even take it over for Inciarte someday. Um, so keep an eye out on that. And then when it comes down to the Baltimore Orioles, uh, again, Kelsey Hannigan wrote that one up. Um, Really interesting from that standpoint, there are some names you'll you'll recognize again. You know, Chance Sisco, Ryan Mountcastle. Uh, But Hunter Harvey is finally healthy this year. Uh, They've given him a bunch of innings this spring in Major League Camp. He's now on the 40-man roster. Uh, You know, there's no hiding it. The Orioles need pitching help. You know, they signed Alex Cobb to a four-year deal uh, just the other day because their major league rotation is very shallow. Uh Harvey as m- many injuries as he's had, they would love to see him become a major league starter by next year. What can he do this year, you know, first year on the 40 man, what can he do to kind of prove that? Uh we'll be keeping a close eye on that. And is there a chance somebody like Tanner Scott could also become a major league starter or is he going to be headed to the To the bullpen with his plus plus velocity. We'll have to keep an eye out. So, Kelsey goes really deep on that. We'll be rolling these out over the next, you know, what, two weeks? I think we roll up um, up right right until. uh, Yeah, right up until minor league opening day. Uh, Mm -hmm. We have a landing page for this. So, if you're looking to find out when your favorite team's prospect primer will be out, go to that landing page. Uh, if you're looking, if it, your team's already out and you can't find it yet, cause it's already off the site, go to that landing page. You'll find it there. Uh, one of my favorite things we get to do during the year and we're changing things up a little bit this year, um, by adding some predictions to the bottom. So be sure to scroll all the way. Uh, we're predicting who's going to hit the most home runs in a system. Who's going to have the most stolen bases. Who's going to have the most strikeouts, uh, which current prospect will have the most major league time and which non one top 100 prospect will make it into the top 100 by the end of the year so we get to have a little fun there uh hope you guys enjoy them as well
1: those are coming to the site at milb.com as sam noted and that'll do it for this week's edition of three strikes uh coming up we're gonna hear from the the silent silent partner in this week's edition of the Show Before the Show podcast, Josh Jackson will join the show to preview his interview with top Chicago White Sox prospect Eloy Jimenez. And then coming up a little while later, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., my prospect crush, got a chance to talk with Fernando at Padres Camp a couple of days ago, so we'll hear from him. And then Benjamin Hill will join us to talk to Sam. And then we'll uh, we'll wrap this thing up. But don't fear. we got a lot coming up for you. And Josh is next. From across the table to now joining me, sitting as close to the microphone as humanly possible, Josh Jackson joins the show from MILB.com and Los Angeles, California. Hello, Josh.
2: Hello, everybody. I'm I'm not in Los Angeles, <laughs>
1: California,
2: Tyler. I'm,
1: I mean, you're from there. You,
2: know, you drove yeah. here. Sure, yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, I'm, that's I'm what based in Los that's Angeles,
1: currently in, in Phoenix. <laughs> I just imagined when I said hello that you were going to do something like the – Adam West on Family Guy. He says, "Do I sound like I'm on old time radio?" <laughs> um, anyway, Josh, uh, it has been. Uh, you got in on Sunday. I got in Saturday. Yes. Um, you had uh, Angels camp on Monday, kind of, and then on Tuesday, uh, I was out at Reds camp. Where were you on Tuesday? I was with the, with uh, commonly the... known in parlance as yesterday.
2: Right. I was with the with in Padres
1: camp yesterday. Right. Yeah. Right. Wait, how did I do Reds Camp? I did Reds Camp on Monday, didn't That's I? That's true. That's the thing about these trips. When we come down here, and this is our third year um, tackling spring training together. Two years ago, we didn't stay together. Last year was the first spring training palatial estate, and now uh, is palatial estate number two. A better palatial so estate, Sam, by 2. the way. 0. This palatial one is State. definitely 2.0. It's an upgrade. You're missing out, Sam.
0: Does this one have a funky mirror?
1: Sam, it has a panini press. It does. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it does. It does. Josh discovered that, like, on day two.
0: In all the, like, Mad Libs that you could have said there, this doesn't have a funky mirror. It has a espresso <laughs> machine. No, Panini press was not what I was expecting.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's very impressive. The array of, like, ki- the whole kitchen is really quite impressive. I
2: have some notes about the <laughs> coffee cup slash bowl. Yeah. Situation. It's like their one thing, and yeah. I, I don't, you know, I just don't, I don't, it's fine. <laughs>
1: I also just noticed that very. uh... Should we talk about baseball? (laughs) No, I just I want to get this off my
0: chest because it's gonna. It's gonna it's gonna eat at me the rest of the time. What I should have responded to the uh, Panini Press thing was when you said, "No, we have a Panini Press." I could have said, "Panini Press, that's my spring training workout," and then anyway.
1: Uh, Uh, that's pretty good that's pretty good i was gonna say were you getting ready to make a ben hill like joke and you were um there is there's like a very serious wine decanter here too sam you're missing out on all these things
0: are you guys doing anything with the wine decanter or just like here it is we're
1: just admiring it right now the this is available open kitchen cabinets
0: neither of you will ever have a wine decanter again so you might as well take this is
1: probably as close as i'll ever get to a wine decanter
2: I don't know that I've actually ever seen a wine decanter because when Tyler said wine decanter, I started looking around and, then, and so then there I would be saw a it and I was, was like, fun. oh, yeah, I guess, I guess that is a wine
1: <laughs> decanter. Okay. Oh, man. Um, so, Josh, uh, Sam and I, first segment, shared our favorite little anecdotes of spring training so far. Sam was talking about Boba Bichette. I was talking about Hunter Green. Um, what's something that you've either experienced or seen or heard or liked about spring training at this point?
2: Uh, kind of a, a like a cool little moment I got to see today. Um, you know at Camelback, on, on the backfields, there was a triple a game, a game of triple A squads between the uh, the Dodgers and the white sox, the, the White sox hosting, although both both of those organizations are based in Camelback Ranch. Um, and then there was also a double a squad. I was watching mostly the triple um, A squad because, uh, Aloy Ham- Jimenez was, was was playing in it, and he was kind of my uh, my target there for for that moment. And I should specify too that like if if a player is on a Triple A team during one of these minor league right. games at the spring training during spring training, it doesn't mean that they're going yeah, to be not assigned not not at all really. I mean, Correct. they they um, these teams are kind of put together like for these games and see how they handle whatever level of competition based on a number of factors. But so anyway. Uh, I was watching Jimenez mostly in the Triple A game, and, and but I did every now and again kind of stroll over to the um, the Double A field, which is you know probably 30 steps away, um, and just see what I could catch there. And so I saw uh, Dodgers catching prospect uh, quebert Ruiz, um, who's a, who's an exciting an exciting. Pretty young guy, especially to be, you know, if if he does end up at Double A this year, that's a that's a kind of a challenge for a guy his age. Um, I saw him really sting a ball at, for a single, uh, and I didn't quite see who was pitching for the White Sox team yet, um, just because I had just got there, looked up and, and saw K Bear swing, um, and then I saw so then D J Peters stepped into the box, and. Peters was, was facing uh, Dane Dunning, who I believe uh, you've Story already up ta- on the side right now. Yeah, and you've talked about him a little bit yeah here tonight. So and, and Dunning um, he he looked he he was pretty tough against, against Peters and that I and struck Peters out. Um, I believe that was to end of the inning. My brain's a little fuzzy because again, I, it was it was just like a it was just cool to like happen upon like oh what's going on in the, on this field oh here are these this three is a
1: ranked prospect. You're right, right. right. say ranked prospect with a legitimate prospect, right. like That all, is really cool, right. yeah. and that's one of the neat things about the backfields is you just like happen upon oh I remember reading about that guy at a profile story in Sam I'm sure is the exact same way in Florida, but the they're just so regular. I mean, you kind of expect there's a lot of fanfare and these are the top prospects and what they just mix in with everybody else.
0: Yeah. I had a little bit of that uh, actually at blue Jays field, you know, um, you know, going back to the Bo Bichette story, you know, he was off on one field. He was at field one, which is off in the distance. Um, But at one point I was looking at Vlad Guerrero jr. Taking BP live BP against TJ Zoic Who's a former first round pick by the Blue Jays. And then I turn around and Nate Pearson is throwing, you know, high nineties heaters basically right behind me. Um, you know, you think that, like Tyler said, that there's gonna be this fanfare with top prospects and they're gonna be under the lights or they're always gonna be in major league camp. It's just not the case. You know, that you go to these backfields, this is the best chance you're gonna get to see some of these guys before they are under the bigger lights of double A AA or triple A or, or, you know, on their way to the show. Um, so yeah, I can't recommend this enough to just go back and, and see what you happen upon. It's almost more fun when you just stumble upon somebody like Ruiz Peters and Dunning, than when you know, they're going to be there.
2: And you also, as fans, um, you know, it varies like how close you can get to those backfields, but I think at everyone I've seen, there's at least a spot for you, for you to sit. Um, and, You get to also feel like you're part of a pretty special group because, I mean, there's not like 100 fans there. I think there's fewer than 50 probably at each,
1: you know. And so many of them are player families or players' girlfriends or wives or, um, you know, people, former coaches, that type of stuff. It's not really a whole lot of – Just wandering fans. There are those, and that's great. But, yeah, you do get to be part of kind of a a unique clique. And you can talk to great people
2: like us. I I met a couple of really fun people today. Uh, uh, One guy that had tweeted at Tyler. Yeah, tweeted
1: at us. Tweeted at Sam, actually, first. Eric and,
2: uh, and his son, I met them back there, and uh, I met another father and son duo a little bit later. It was, it, it's a good opportunity for fans to get back
0: there. And-, and can I just say, Tyler brought this up too about player families or, or just like hosting families. I don't know if you guys have had this a lot. I saw a lot of these families from like Class A, Class A advanced yes. cities that house these players during the year. And make the trips down to Florida just to see them, just to check in, and say like, "Hey, I saw your sister on Facebook had a kid. How is she doing?" Like, it's amazing the baseball families that you get to see and kind of rub elbows with, and just the involvement, you know, all over the country. It's not just guys in the organization. It's not just you know their their immediate family members. Uh, You really get to see the impact these guys have as minor leaguers, uh, even in in spring.
1: Yeah, yesterday we were uh, on the backfields of the Padres slash Mariners camp and Adrian Morahone started a game for the Padres. I believe that was the... Double yeah, A level, was, yeah, it because was it yeah. was uh, the triple A teams were on a different field, um, on the Mariners side. But Adrian Morahone, who spent last year with Class A Fort Wayne in the Midwest League for six games, made seven starts prior to that with Tri City in the Northwest League. He is 19 years old and he was pitching with the double A team. Does he head to double A at the start of the year? Probably not, kind of what Josh was saying, but we could tell there were some people in the crowd. Who were quite obviously people that knew Adrian from Fort Wayne, some tin cap stuff on and were cheering for him and all that kind of stuff. And that is really cool. I mean, those connections that get formed in the minor leagues really, really neat. So uh, it's, we can't recommend it enough. The backfield stuff is great. And today on the backfields at Camelback Ranch in Glendale, Arizona, Josh got a chance to catch up with Eloy Jimenez, the top prospect in the White Sox organization. I creepily hung out a short distance away to try to pick off what of the conversation I could hear, even though I'll literally produced the podcast in which the interview is placed but uh, tell us about meeting eloy josh um
2: well yeah it, it was uh really fun to get to talk to him today he um he i had heard and you know i think this is probably the first thing i say in the interview he i'd heard that he picked up english and had not necessarily picked up english but had worked really hard to to learn english quickly um and had impressed the cubs with that when he was with the cubs um, with just the effort that he put in to learning English, and um, if you think about that in terms of how much else he's trying to learn and get acclimated to as a professional ball player, yeah, that's uh, that just really impresses me. So I, I wanted to talk to him about kind of that and um, just getting the the rest of uh, of his acclimation to to you know living and playing in the states. Um, and how that's going. So, so, yeah, it was fun to talk to him about that. I, he'd also hit a very impressive uh, home run in that, uh, in that double-A game against uh, Daniel Corsino um, as the first pitch of, of the at-bat, and he just, like, he made it look s- – the swing looks so easy. And I believe there is or will be shortly video uh, of, this, of this swing on MLB.com. Um, he just hammered this pitch over the <laughs> over the wall and it didn't look like it was particularly hard for him. Um, and I wanted to talk to a guy like that about whether, um, you know, other parts of getting into pro ball were all were things that he made look easy or that he felt were easy. I've heard that you've learned uh, English very quickly and that you've done a lot of very good work in, in, in learning English in a short amount of time. Um, how how much is that something that you've been focused on as much as you've been focused on
3: all the parts of baseball? Like first of all, it's because like, I don't, I don't know, I'm feel like bad with myself. Like I can't even talk with my coaches about anything and I I say I need uh like I need to learn something like for communicate with my coaches and say Okay, let's put it works. And uh, focus in baseball too, but at the same time, I need to focus in my English. Has it been easy or hard for you? It was kind of easy, hard, and funny. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Having some fun with it. Yeah, like funny and a uh, little bit of, uh, how do you say, it? like, I don't know. It was funny, but at the same time, it was awkward a yeah, little he, bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah but I am feel pretty good with myself. Um, I
2: know that you've talked before about being a leader and wanting to be a leader. And I know the White Sox see you as somebody who can come up in the system and, and be a leader on all the uh, different teams that you play on. How much of your desire to learn English has, has been kind of um, a part of that? Like being able to communicate with everybody and talk to
3: everybody. Yeah, that that is one of... Uh... My like my thoughts in my mind. Uh, if I want to be a leader, I need to be completely like bilingual, and uh, I need to be like leader outside the field and uh, on the field. Like I try to be like one of the guys. Like you saw him watching, and you say, "Oh." This may be going to be uh, one little one day. That's why I play the, the game like that and try to learn English and uh, like try to do everything outside right.
2: Uh-huh.
3: Have there been other parts of American culture that you've been,
2: uh, you've had fun learning or found very strange to learn? Uh,
3: like, I'm, like, no, really. Like, right, right now. It was like it. It was like a little kind of like hard for me. Yeah. To learn other like or like culture and all that stuff. But at the same time, I say if I want to play here, I need to learn the culture and all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have you found any like uh, TV shows
2: or movies that you're watching helps you understand?
3: Yeah, like music, oh, like hip hop music. music yep. Um... A lot of the, um, like superhero movies uh-huh. and all this stuff, um, and uh, <laughs> and uh, kind of like a little bit of shows, like TV shows. Today you
2: you hit that monster home run. How much fun? <laughs> how much fun did you have? Swing, get that, getting that swing off
3: in that. Area? It was pretty good. Like I'm feel pretty good after was 0-for-2 2 with two ground balls, <laughs> two-thirds, but I'm just putting my mind, like, I need to hit, like, putting the ball in the barrel. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, no problem doing that on yeah, that side. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that went a long way.
2: Uh, the last thing I'm gonna ask you is, we're asking, you know, everybody we talked to about the new rule changes for extra innings. we are gonna start a runner on second base in the minor leagues, have you heard much about that?
3: Uh, not really. I'm not even. You know, about, nobody told no, you, no, yeah. No.
2: Yeah, for minor leagues games, um, you know, through, throughout the minor leagues, this year, if it goes to the tenth inning, there's a runner on run second base, uh, just to speed things up. I think to not waste bullpens. Yeah. Uh, what do you What do you think about that
3: idea? It sounds good. Like, I don't know. Sounds good and sounds bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. If you away. Uh, Uh, It's kind of like, okay, but if you are home, yeah, of (laughs) course, yes, right? (laughs) Yeah,
2: all right, thank you so much, Eloy, for taking the time to talk. Actually, can you say your first name for me? Because I hear Americans say Eloy a lot, is that correct? It's
1: Eloy, Eloy, Eloy. okay, whatever. All right, (laughs) thank you so much. It's fun to talk. The thing about uh, Eloy Jimenez that's really fascinating too is like, you think he's a normal ish sized guy. Until you see him against an actual normal-sized guy, like Josh is a very normal-sized human being. Eloy Menes is gigantic; he's a huge dude, and not like a not like he's seven feet tall, but he's just built. He's probably, I mean, whatever he's listed at six three, six four. He is a big-bodied guy, though. He is, and
2: uh, he looks, you know, bigger now than he did a, a couple of years ago. I'm sure that part of that is just growing up. He, um, you know, he's. He just turned 21 uh, in the fall in November. So, um, and yeah, the last time I saw him, you know, like close enough to actually see how big he is. That's another thing. I think you guys probably, I, I know it's been discussed on the podcast before, but um, when you see a, a lot of players on the field, they don't look especially big, right? But then if you're yeah. actually standing near them, even you know, um, within 10 feet, you're standing near them, you see that they are. Uh, pretty incredible physical specimens, um, but yeah, Elo- Eloy has, has uh,
1: yeah uh, grown into his body. He's listed at six four two zero five. There ain't no way that dude is two zero five. Josh Jackson of milb dot com. You can find on Twitter at Josh Jackson milb. Now slinking away. Goodbye, Josh. Thank Goodbye, you. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, now we're going to turn it back to you, Tyler, because you've got an interview here coming up with Fernando Tatis Jr., uh, who we talked a little bit about earlier in the show. Uh, but you got to talk to him down in in Padres camp. What kind of stood out to you? What should people listen to here in a couple of minutes?
1: Yeah, you know what's so funny? I think you'll notice in this interview, Fernando's a pretty soft-spoken guy, which is not at all how he came across last year. I got a chance to talk to him a couple of times for some stories for the site, and one especially stood out um, that I talked to him last July for a story a day after he had hit an inside-the-park homer on Sunday and was on a string of a, a bunch of straight multi-hit games for Class A Fort Wayne and it was just hilarious. I mean, really energized after the game, and um, he told me this great story about how he when he got home uh after scoring on an inside the park Homer. He said he couldn't feel his legs when he got to the dugout because he just was not expecting to have to run that much on that ball that he put into the gap. Um, but just a really energetic, effusive type of guy. He was very mild mannered and really kind of measured in his answers um, in our conversation at Padres camp the other day. But uh I think that's probably due to a, a couple of things. Number one he was actually limited that day. Um, I don't think it was anything injury related. I think just being kept out of action. And that's the type of guy who you can sort of tell how much he is really lit up by playing baseball. And we talk about that somewhat in this uh, interview that that's uh, an energy giving type of thing for him. He's just out having fun on a regular basis. Um, But number two, I think just being somebody who realizes where he is in the organization right now and being a, a leader. I mean, he's the type of guy who you can really build a franchise around. He's bilingual. He's a a good-looking kid. He's somebody who plays with good flair. He's got a a good offensive profile. He plays a terrific defensive shortstop. He can be a cornerstone kind of guy. He just seemed very mature in that respect. He's the son of a major leaguer. He had been around Major League Baseball his entire childhood. Now, knowing what it's going to take to be successful at the Major League level, having seen some time at AA at the end of last year, that's what I got from him. He just has a quiet confidence about him. and uh, It was cool. Got a chance to, to talk to Fernando a couple of days ago and here's how it went. Um, Tell me about the spring. It's, uh, you know, obviously it seems like a a big year for you coming up with having made that jump late in the season. Um, How has this been so far?
4: It's been good. Uh, Been working hard. uh, Been working with the oldest guys and the No, no, a little bit sick, but I'm getting better.
1: To get into, you know, this group and be around guys who are, you're used to being around guys who are older than you, obviously, and and can play with them, but what is it like being around a a double-A group that's already so talented and you fit right into that mix?
4: It feels great, man, you know, being a part of such a special group and forming part of it. It just feels awesome. P- keep pushing you and it feels great.
1: Tell me about last year, uh, like month to month, your numbers just jumped and got better and better and better. What was the key to that to be able to adjust? It's so difficult no matter what and where you are, but to do it at your age and the move West League. What enabled you to do that?
4: You know, in every level, uh, you go, you just keep learning of baseball every day. And like I said, I, just, I was learning and I was approaching the, to the occasion, and I think I got uh, not focused, but like I uh, just keep working hard, and, then, and then, then the work pays off.
1: When you are somebody who can, you know, really have a good command of the strike zone, especially being young, that's such a difficult thing to learn. But you seem to have that pretty intuitively. Where do you think that came from? I mean, obviously, being a, a baseball background that you've got contributes some. But how do you think, uh, you know, you develop that as a young player?
4: Like you said, I think having a baseball background uh, that helps me a lot. That uh, that showed me like from small what I was hitting and playing baseball the most part but uh, like you said and having a background on my dad it helped me a lot
1: we talked last year after uh yeah that one crazy day the inside the park home run and all that stuff in fort wayne and um, it just seemed like you were having so much fun last season with that team and getting a chance to to play in full season ball and be a guy who was relied on as you know a key part of the order and, and a leadership role what about that why are you successful in that role being somebody who's vocal being somebody who can be kind of the energy for a team what about your personality makes you that way
4: um. Like, I don't think this stuff so much. Uh, um, baseball is gonna be a hard game. It's gonna be tough on you. So I'm just trying to have fun every day. You know, no matter what, I'm having fun and just keep playing the game. And like this game, you're not gonna play for for entire life. So be blessed to be in the field every day and just have fun.
1: What's the biggest thing you worked on over the off season for this year?
4: You know, I'm a player. I can, I gotta do everything. So I would say everything, hitting catching ground balls, running, everything.
1: When you uh, made that jump at the end of last season, um, you get a couple of weeks in, you go right over to Lake Elsinore. What was it like getting a double A and, and getting kind of thrown into the fire there?
4: I like it, you know, they were pushing me. They were, like, training me, you know, getting me to that level. And I like it. You know, I got there and I tried to do my best, and the stuff worked.
1: Being, um, you know, somebody who's a teenager in the Midwest League, you're setting marks for what an 18-year-old was able to do. And if you're 19 this year and you go to AA and you can do it there, there's a guy in your organization who's done that. Um, Obviously, Arias makes that climb ahead of you and has been young everywhere he's gone. What do you learn from somebody like that who gets to play at levels above and you kind of get to watch how that goes for somebody?
4: You know, me and Ruben are almost the same guy. You no, know, we play this game, and we almost always the youngest guy on each team, and we're just trying to have fun. We play baseball since so small, and then we just bring that memories, and we just put it in the field.
1: What? Uh, let me ask you this question. The the new extra innings rules in the minor leagues with the uh, runner at second to start the 10th. What do you think about that? I mean, obviously, for you guys, you get to go out and play some shorter days, um, but it's probably kind of weird. What do you think about it?
4: Yeah, it's going to be worse. The game's going to be shorter. We're going to take like a little bit of part of the emotion, but the, that's, that's the new rule. And I don't like it that far, but it is what it is.
1: When you um, look ahead to this season, what do you want to accomplish? Are there things that you kind of set out as personal goals to start a year, or how do you approach a new season?
4: No, last year I, did, I didn't set up a goal, and I think I did pretty good this year. I did, I'm going to do the same thing and just try to have fun in the field and you know keep it the same way. That's awesome.
0: this is a little different this week for a number of different reasons a i am introducing a segment uh only of which as you know by now is because tyler and josh are in arizona um but also this week it feels like something new just because we haven't done this in a while uh joining me now on the show is uh benjamin hill hey ben how are you doing
5: Hey Sam, yeah, it's great to be back on the podcast After uh, missing the last three weeks I started to feel that maybe I'd been uh, Bumped from the show, I was starting to get very uh, Sensitive and I'm upset But I'm glad to see that things are back to normal Right,
0: yeah, that's why we brought you back We, we longed for you Ben And um, I'll take part of the blame for that Obviously, I was in Florida, things get kind of hectic uh, We filmed a couple shows Late at night and you know, I don't think you wanted to be doing anything at 11 o'clock at, at night when we were doing some of those Um But yeah, it's good to have you back. I want to touch on the big news of the week, obviously, and kind of minor league business is this Copa de la Diversión that got announced yesterday, which is Tuesday. Um, It's this new initiative. It's kind of growing on what happened last year a little bit uh, in terms of outreach to Hispanic populations and Hispanic fan bases. Um, You know, a lot of teams are renaming, they're rebranding for a couple days this season, uh, some of the names you'll hear are the Brooklyn Jefes, uh, the Toros de Bur- Durham, uh, the Memphis Muzica. Uh, one of my favorites, the San Antonio Flying Chunclas, uh the Winston-Salem Rayados. the list we could keep going on and on and on. Uh, ben, you know, you usually have a pretty good ear to the ground on a lot of this stuff. How is, you know, what was your initial reaction to this? And, uh, you know, what have you kind of seen over the last 24 hours since these names and logos and whole initiative really started to get rolled out?
5: Um, well, my initial reaction or just my overall reaction, um, yeah, there's 33 teams participating this year, um, playing a total of 165 games um, as their alternate Spanish language identities. So this is obviously a very comprehensive uh, program. And, um, you know, Tyler, uh, your colleague in mine, Tyler Mon, has a, wrote a story um, providing some more detail on uh, how this came about, but at its core is the general idea, knowledge, fact that um, you know Hispanics in minor league markets uh, are usually not coming to the games in proportion to you know what they represent in the overall population, and um, you know I think that. Sentiment could be extended to most minority communities um, in minor league baseball markets. So, this is the most comprehensive, wide reaching. Uh, strategy uh, initiative yet to say like well who can we reach out to specifically you know to get them to their ballparks and to do it in a way which is uh, you know shows a lot of thought and a real deep-rooted approach to um, celebrating the Hispanic heritage in different communities and as you know a bonus the cherry on top to all that is you know, you have 33 alternate identities all at once. I mean, you and I both know how excited a certain subset of baseball fans gets um, about alternate identities, whether they're food identities or what-if nights or what have you. So to have 33 identities all come forth on one day, you know, it's pretty huge, um, both in terms of what minor league baseball is doing for this initiative and also pretty huge for just people who like logos and hats and uh, minor league baseball branding. So it's a pretty cool thing on a lot of fronts.
0: Yeah, and what kind of reaction have you seen um, you know from either you know your own Twitter feed or just you know Meyer league front offices all that kind of stuff in the, these last 24 hours uh, it seems like it's been overwhelmingly positive at least from my view but um, you know how how much buzz is this really generating
5: yeah and, and I think what you just said um uh, it really stands out to me. It's been overwhelmingly positive. Um, you know, we know the Internet, and we know that when minor league teams do things, especially when they're a little absurd or irreverent or uh, off the beaten path, you're just going to have a subset of the Internet saying, you know, stupid, why bother? This is dumb. Not going to that game, et cetera, et cetera. And I saw very, very little of that yesterday. I had one guy respond to one of my tweets with, like, stupid, this is America's game. You know, not really understanding that these uh, – these are Hispanic Americans we're talking about. They are also Americans. That's neither here nor there. We're a melting pot, whatever. Um, but overwhelmingly negative, uh, you are, are positive. Jeez, overwhelmingly positive, uh, you are correct. And even in overwhelming positivity, even though some of these identities are completely out there and patently absurd, some of them. Um, The one that got the most attention internet-wise yesterday was uh, San Antonio, the Flying Chanclas. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I apologize for any and all of my Spanish. Um, But that's a reference to uh, Hispanic grandmothers or mothers and their propensity for throwing their uh, flip-flops, their sandals, their chanclas, (laughs) Uh, at their children's so um, you know that's not a reference I understood or got but uh, the response to that showed just how deep rooted it is in those cultures and what an affection there is for um, mothers and grandmothers throwing footwear at, at the youth.
0: Yeah that was, that was one of the real educational moments I think for a lot of us and that's part of the point of this is to kind of get you to understand uh, the other side of the game I mean there's a lot of Hispanic players a lot of Latin players coming up through the game and you want to A, understand where they're coming from, and B, make them feel comfortable, but that extends to fans, obviously, as well. Um, So looking up exactly what a chunkla is um, and and how important that was. I know the ringers, Shea Serrano, tweeted about that and how excited he was, and that really helped pump things up. Uh, Yeah, it's it's really exciting from our standpoint. Um, But this isn't the first time this has really happened. I know last year, who was it, Las Vegas, Vegas, Charlotte, uh, Kane County, and I think one other team uh, participated in this, and Visalia, excuse me. Uh, yes. It, what success do you think they saw from that, and how has this kind of expanded from there?
5: Well, I think that was a, a trial run. They, they had the idea and maybe not a full confidence in the idea or just an understanding of how it would implement. So they got a few teams on board uh, at first, you know, a, a sort of focus group of sorts, uh, you know, do a test run in a few markets and the feedback they got was good. And um, obviously minor league baseball, because this is an initiative, um, you know, emanating from minor league baseball headquarters in St. Petersburg. Uh, I think minor league baseball obviously felt confident to extend the energy and resources to making this as available to as many teams as possible this year and still it's only 33 out of 160 roughly you know one-fifth roughly um so we can see a lot of room for expansion of this idea and uh, i I certainly certainly hope that's the case and that this um, is something that we're going to see for a lot of years and it'll continue to grow and evolve and uh, and and you're right i mean it's educational um you know some of these things uh, that are mentioned are not things that i knew about being uh you know white american who grew up in the suburbs so it's um you know it's not for us specifically but any baseball fan can learn from a lot of these team names and uh, the logos and the stories behind them
0: and uh, the whole name of the initiative again is the Copa de la Diversion which directly translates to just the fun cup Um, but how exactly is that part of it going to work Uh, you mentioned 33 teams they're all over you know all over geographically all over the different full season levels it's not like you know this is a bracket that can be set up um, how exactly is this cup part of this going to work this year?
5: You know, exactly, I, I, I do not know. Um, but um, it, it's not, when you're talking about teams through all these different leagues, playing different amounts, you know, of games as this alternate identity, there's no hard and fast uh, metric you can use for the best team. Uh, so I know whoever wins the Fun Cup, fun cup, it's uh, it, there's going to be a lot of different... Uh, Uh, metrics to go into deciding that with overall fan engagement and attendance and who knows probably social media engagement uh etc etc i think it'll be a rather uh, convoluted formula but uh, at the end of the day one team in minor league baseball you know they're going to want that bragging rights because this is an industry that that loves to brag about uh anything they can possibly win
0: yeah just to borrow from uh tyler's story on this uh, he says, at the end of the season, they'll be awarded to one team based on a formula built from a series of different factors, such as converting fans into new attendees, how new foods are received, merchandise sales, and more. Um, it's the and more that has me interested. I want to know what other rubrics are being involved here, but I guess we'll kind of have to find out. I feel like San Antonio's already off to a to a flying lead. <laughs> there you go. Um, but uh yeah ben it has been a while since we last talked to you had a lot of different stories over the last couple weeks um one of which I, i want to talk about was you did a reaction piece to extended netting that's something we're seeing obviously at the major league level but that's extended to the minor league level as teams are really taking into account safety um you know what did you kind of learn from the reactions you were hearing about extending the netting to as far as the dugouts you know across minor league baseball
5: Well, for my story, uh, which ran uh, about two weeks ago on MILB.com, what I was going for mainly was uh, the front office perspective uh, from teams who've recently made that decision. I.e., you know, why did you do it? Uh, what what was the uh, to lead up to this? Um, unfortunately, I was not able to get a total figure industry wide regarding how many teams have extended netting. But uh, heading into the 2018 Major League season, as we know, every Major League team is following guidelines to be at least uh, the end of the dugout to the end of the dugout all the way across, and more and more minor teams. I mean, you know, you you get press releases too. Uh, You know how it's just a, um, if not daily occurrence, a very regular occurrence to get a a press release announcing another team is is extending the netting. Um, So I talked to executives from four teams, uh, got feedback on Twitter from from others. And um, I think really where we're going with this is inevitable is the word I I, want to use um, because, you know, fan safety is an issue. And um, yes, buying a ticket means you're assuming all risks of whatever can happen when you're in the ballpark. Um, and that's a risk a fan has always had to take by going to a game. But especially to me in minor league baseball, when um, the whole industry is predicated on affordable, family friendly entertainment, that there are many, many built in distractions to create a fun environment for everyone, even if you don't like baseball, uh, the preponderance of, you know, uh, Devices, you know, cell phones, iPhones, whatever, uh, fans not necessarily always paying attention the way they used to. Um, there is just, um, it's, it almost seems like there's no going back at this point. And, um, you know, you, know if I, you and I have talked about this and this is the kind of conversation a lot of baseball fans have had. You know, if I had never entered into this job, I would probably hate the idea of netting because I'd just be thinking from the perspective of someone who goes to a couple games and just doesn't like watching through a net. But one, you know, netting technology has advanced. That might sound like a silly thing to say, but it's true uh, in terms of how thin it is and the way it's uh, almost like camouflaged, coated over with a light green color. Um, It's a lot less obtrusive than it used to be um, as compared to a lot of the standard backstop netting that we're used to. Um, So, I mean, that's one thing. And then, two, you just think of it from the perspective of operating a team. Um, You know, anytime you go to a minor league game, you just, you hear the crack of a bat and especially people who work in the ballpark, there's this immediate, like, uh uh-oh, pause what we're doing, pause the conversation, make sure no one needs attention, make make sure that the ushers aren't running down there, making sure you don't have to alert the EMTs working at the ballpark. Um, and you don't really want that to be an element of your family fun, to, uh, to think that, uh, that that truly tragic injury could always uh, lurk around the corner. And, um, you know, most people don't get hurt. And knock on wood, you know, no one ever will again. But it's a fact of life of watching baseball. We have to accept that fact. But at the same time, there's anything we can do to um, minimize that risk uh, I think that's something that's worthwhile and that's very much the impression I got from people around the industry that I talked to and that as much as I do understand fans who don't like it from a standpoint of watching the game um, it's just as I said, it's it's just inevitable
0: Right, it just takes one <clears throat> really severe injury I think like we saw a couple years ago or a little while back at Yankee Stadium um, with a little kid, you know, to make you realize safety really should be paramount here over, you know losing 1% of the view or something like that. And I think that kind of comes across. And the more you talk to people from the front office, like you did, Ben, Um, one other story I want to touch on uh, while we have you that I thought was a lot of fun. I wish we could have talked about it last week. Um, You had a fun story on Emma Tiedemann, uh, who was becoming the lead play-by-play broadcaster for the Lexington legends um, becoming just the second female play-by-play broadcaster in minor league baseball um, that's pretty exciting. What, it, what did you learn from talking to her and, um, you know, what kind of went into this story?
5: Well, you know, when her, when she was announced, uh, I believe that was about two Fridays ago, when her hiring was announced, um, you know, I sent out a tweet about it. And uh, perhaps not surprisingly, just got a, a lot of response. You know, people are genuinely interested in uh, women breaking into male-dominated fields and, you know, in minor league baseball Um like almost the entire sports industry, it's a male-dominated dominated industry. Uh, females are making more and more inroads, uh, without a doubt, every year. But if you look at jobs within baseball, play-by-play announcer, um, particularly at the minor league level, and of course the major league one is one that is uh, very, very male-dominated. So, uh, Kirsten, Kirsten, excuse me, Kirsten Carbach uh, in Clearwater is the only uh, lead p- play-by-play broadcaster in minor league baseball until Emma came along. And uh, so I just wanted to talk to her Um, to just really understand her career path, why she decided to do what she's doing, you know, and how it came about. Uh, The story I wrote, which of course you can read on MILB.com, doesn't go, it doesn't really focus on her gender per se. I mean, I think it goes without saying I did a full feature on her because she's a a woman, um, but it's more just about how she came to get this job. And, uh, you know, you can read a lot more in the story, but her grandfather, Bill Mercer, is a uh, broadcasting, uh, I think legend, mighty even be a fair word to use uh, in the state of Texas. Um, He's still alive, retired, you know, in his 90s now, but uh, he worked for decades calling all sorts of sports and uh, also taught classes, uh, broadcasting classes and uh, through those classes he taught at the collegiate level, he ended up recruiting his granddaughter, Emma, um, you know, to work with him in a game in which he didn't have enough students to work, uh, calling basketball. So she was in high school and through her opportunity, got a, an opp- uh, through her grandfather, got an opportunity to call a high school basketball game. And she said, you know, I had always wanted to be a veterinarian. And as soon as I got behind a mic, everything changed. Uh, so she went from there to Mizzou and was very heavily involved in uh, their radio station on campus uh, worked for a summer collegiate league in Alaska and realized she definitely wanted to focus on baseball Uh, did another summer collegiate league in Medford, the Medford Rogues in Oregon and um then St. Saint Paul Saints, you know, one of the premier independent clubs. And now here she is in uh, Lexington, a class A club, a class A Royals affiliate. So she's just working her way up the ladder like anyone else, like any broadcaster, like any anyone in minor league baseball. Uh, but I, it seems to me like she's well positioned for success. And hopefully we'll uh, see more like her in minor league baseball, as well as, uh, you know, in broadcasting jobs out of minor league baseball and just uh, sports in general.
0: Yeah. and it, uh, it, This is a really fun story just from that angle in terms of, you know, I think a lot of people wonder exactly how you get into broadcasting and this is a good great way of just kind of illustrating that path as well Um, you know we all follow almost every minor league broadcaster uh, that's on Twitter right now we interact with a lot of them Um, a lot of you at home probably listen to their broadcast either on milp TV or on the radio or anything like that and you have to realize how much went into getting to where they are Uh, I think she had a great quote in your story Ben about uh, getting reps, how she got reps at Mizzou, and how she got reps through her grandfather and through all these summer collegiate leagues, and uh, it's just a nice story from that point of view of you know what it takes to build a broadcasting resume, uh, regardless of gender or sex. So check that out for sure. Um, coming later this week, Ben, you're working on a story. Uh, the people heard plenty of our reactions last week between me and Tyler uh, to the pace of play rules, but you're working on something in terms of just the industry-wide reaction to the pace of play rules. What can you kind of preview about that to us?
5: Yeah, well, there'll be a story um, with some front office perspectives as well as uh, you know, farm director and player perspectives that have been provided by yourself when you were in uh, the Grapefruit League and uh, our colleagues Sam and Tyler in the, are in Arizona right now. Josh um, i I'm, I'm in New York now. Oh, wait, you're
0: Sam. I am Sam.
5: Sam, you're Sam. Sam, okay. I am.
0: Dan- okay. Dang it, I mean...
5: Go on. I set you for that. Sorry. Sorry, Josh. Sorry, Sam. I mean, there's just too many of you guys. Tyler and Sam are in Arizona. No. You went to Florida. No.
0: Give it one more try. <laughs>
5: <laughs> Tyler and Josh are in Arizona. Thank you. That is true. Sam, you went to Florida. I did go to Florida. All three of you in these different locales solicited uh, quotes on pace of play. Uh, I got some more. I'm compiling it into a story, and we'll probably have a separate story or blog post uh, more focused you know, on, on my world, uh, the minor league baseball industry. And uh, I think one thing is people who work in minor league baseball, you'll probably find the most uh, – be the strongest proponents for these rules because uh, they want to get home earlier and they don't want to operate a team in money-losing situations because um, there's no revenue in the 10th inning of a minor league baseball game. <laughs> so I know a lot of fans don't like this. I understand why. But if you want to see some positivity, not manufactured positivity, but perspectives that are actually positive, uh, you'll see some of that as well as a wide range of uh, people uh, that that you interviewed. You're Sam. I am and Sam. That, that's Tyler and josh also interviewed i got it right
0: there you go we got we finally got it and on that note uh thanks for having or thanks for coming back on ben uh we're glad we got to have you again we'll you'll be a regular member of the podcast going forward no big trips coming up only the season ahead so uh glad to have you back and we'll look forward to doing this again next
5: week thanks sam it's good to be back and speaking of big trips uh 2018 road trip schedules will be announced soon. So uh, looking forward to talking about that in the near future.
1: There we go. There's a preview for next week. Yep. We're getting into the segment and I said, all right, so we can just wrap. And now I was just thinking, what if we just wrapped the clothes to the show? I'm not going to attempt to freelance it. To freestyle it, freelance. Yeah, what? that was I, the lamest thing I could have said. <laughs> I'm not going to freelance this, friends.
0: We we See, have not. to get paid. Yeah, we're salaried rappers. We don't we don't freelance. We're not anything. doing
1: this freelance without proper compensation. um josh and i will be here in arizona until friday so if you're tuned into the podcast as of thursday when it goes up on the site we'll be here until friday i am headed to uh texas rangers camp on friday to get a chance to uh to catch up with um that system is intriguing in a couple of aspects, but maybe most intriguing in how it has fallen off a decent amount. I mean, the Rangers used to be one of those systems that it felt like year after year – Loaded up with really, really top-level talent. They do have still some intriguing pieces in it, um, but they're not quite the system of maybe five, six years ago. Uh, Leonis Tavares is a fantastic prospect, their top overall prospect, the outfielder. um, And Willie Calhoun, who we've had, friend of the podcast. Um, I'm really intrigued to hear about Hans Kraus, who was their second-round pick last year because of this sentence. In his MLB Pipeline bio, quote, he's extremely animated on the mound and has been known to groom the dirt a la Mark Fidrich or throw a shimmy into his mechanics like Johnny Cueto. So I'm really excited to hear about Hans Krauss, a 19-year-old kid who was taken with the 66th overall pick last year. But um, then that's it. Then it's back to uh, it's back home for me and Josh. We have to wait until we can hang out some more. And, um, you know, maybe one day, all of us, Sam, someday. That we'll doubt.
0: No, no. That'll be the dream. We can dream. We can dream. We should all meet up, like, some somewhere in the middle, like Omaha, like, on a Runza's night or something like yes.
1: that. Yes. Uh, absolutely. And we just discussed, uh, you discussed with Ben, um, the brand-new initiative across minor league baseball, the Coba de la Diversion. And theirs is one of the really, really good ones, Omaha. The uh, cazadores tormentas, which is literally "storm chasers" translated, but sounds so much cooler in Spanish, and their logo is fantastic. Yeah, maybe.
0: Right, it, that's Correntes. one of those ones where it sounds lame that it's just "storm chasers" translated, right. but a it sounds amazing. Say it a bunch of times to yourself. Yeah, cazadores de tormentas. Tormentas this is fantastic, but that logo is really really good. Yes, um, I I tweeted out like my birthday is coming up and my sister was asking what I want and I want a hat for Copa de la Diversión. Uh, and so I, I came down to four choices. It was either Brooklyn, Hartford, Oklahoma city or Omaha. Uh, just because as much as Omaha, it doesn't feel like a Spanish thing. It, the logo look, works really well. The phrase works really well. The whole package is just really well done. So, Good job by Omaha. Good job by everybody in that that program. I'm really excited to see how that's going to go this year.
1: Yeah, it is a really cool initiative, and you can get more information at MILB.com. There is a terrific um, site that was set up with each of the uh, identities and the explanations behind them and all that type of stuff is noted. Um, so at slash COPA, you can get all that information. You can also buy your merchandise. My favorite, I think, just because of the story that goes into it, Eugene, with all the, the symbolism behind the, the monarch butterfly and the symbolism in the logo for Oregon and the 33 countries of Hispanic origin. Um, it, it's so cool. And it's so well thought out. And uh, Alan Benavides did a terrific job with Eugene Emeralds, but all of them have such good stories. So go check those out and uh that will do it for this week's edition of the show before the show next week back to normal as we get you set for opening day coming up here in a couple of weeks in the minor leagues and uh sam until then say goodbye to josh bye josh say goodbye josh bye sam bye everyone
0: I thought Josh was going to say bye, Josh. (laughs) Good night, Kevin, is what I should have said.